This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. In fact... Let me get this straight. Let me think about this. This will be the first podcaster I have ever had in my house. Ever. If you exclude Chase. That's getting pretty specific. <laughs> this well, is I was the gonna first s- time <laughs> I was going to say it was the first a podcaster podcast. with a nine and a half shoe size. <laughs> Maybe. Ever. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, he wears the same shoe size as his wife, evidently. Um, this is true, I do. Yeah. She I, has large feet, though. Or do you have small feet? It's kind of a mixture. Of both. <laughs> she got she got Greek feet. Yeah, she's so got Greek feet. Her middle toe. Yeah. So my wife's middle toe looks like a finger. Okay. No, bro. Like no, like legit. Like legit. It's gotcha. like the size of my. It's probably it's probably close to the size of my pinky. Finger. We're gonna have to see a photo of this. That's kind of that's kind of crazy. It's it's. I think it's like it's you're like, talking about like that that toe, the middle one. This one. That one. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, the second one. It's so long. That's crazy. Like, she has to wear bigger shoes because her yeah. her middle toe is, like, freakishly long. <laughs> and it, I think, like, it's, it, it, you don't see it, like, if unless you're thinking about toes. Yeah. Like, you don't really, like, it's not like you're like, oh, my God, look at that toe. Yeah. But when somebody's like, hey, check out Hallie's toe, and you look at it, it's, it's a really long. It's a really long toe. I think it's it's a Greek, it's like yeah. Greek you can you can frame it for whatever you want to. Our listeners have no idea, so yeah, they're it's all, Russian. They're all Russian. This <laughs> she, yeah. mail order Russian feet. <laughs> yeah, I bought her from a Russian website, <laughs> and only because I liked her shoes and I could wear the same size. That, it, it dual purpose, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your hunting boots or her hunting boots and yep, her flip flops. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have got Parker McDonald. If you didn't already know that by now, Southern Ground Hunting. Messed it up earlier when I was talking to my wife. I had to get that right there, <laughs> rectify the situation. Um, but So, uh, let's talk about that real quick. Okay, let's do it. 
I know you're probably going to be like, he's the best deer hunter of all in all the land. You're going to give me this great intro, mm-hmm. but I'm going to interrupt you because there's a, a pretty funny story. So I do graphic design. Mm-hmm. I own my own business doing graphic design, website design. And I had a guy reach out to me, super nice dude. Um, and he was like, Hey man, I'm thinking about rebranding. Uh, his, his original brand was pretty cool. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't like specific to a region or anything. He was like, I'm thinking about going like Southern, it was like Southern Dirt or Southern, uh, <laughs> Southern Legacy or something like that. Like yeah. it's all Southern. I was like, he's like, I just feel like it would stick out more. I was like, let me tell you about something. <laughs> and it was a hunting brand. I was <laughs> yeah. like, let me tell you about something. I run a hunting brand called Southern Ground and everybody who does something in the South yeah. puts Southern in front of their names. And so I get tagged in random stuff. <laughs> On Instagram that I have no business being yeah. tagged in. And other people get tagged instead of me. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Everybody has... I started a Facebook... or a, a, There was a new podcast that had come out, and it was Southern something mm-hmm. or another. Yeah. So, uh, and they, they actually they did a really good job. Uh, I listened to their first episode. And um, I messaged a whole bunch of different guys that have... Southern in their uh-huh. name, and I n- named it Southern Blank. It's like <laughs> fill in the blank. Like yeah. we all need to just rebrand. Yeah, just because this is getting a little bit out of hand. <laughs> well, so you you tried to anticipate my hosting, um, but you were off the mark. Um, unfortunately for you, <laughs> I was about to sling mad shit at you because you haven't killed a buck. I have this year. I've killed two bucks this year. In, okay, in Alabama. I haven't killed you one You haven't killed one out. That, that's your backyard, dude. That's your back I 40. Know. I mean. I let two I let two smaller bucks walk Yeah, um, that I could have killed yep. pretty easily. Yeah. I missed a really good deer last, uh, or this past, so what's today, Monday. I missed him on Friday morning. Mm-hmm. So, shot a doe, which I wasn't planning on shooting an, another doe this year, but. I was on an SOA hunt. So in Alabama, like y'all have in Florida, y'all have yep. your quota hunts. Yep, yep. We have these SOA hunts, and it's limited access. Um, you pretty much get a whole unit. Ours was like 300 acres mm-hmm. to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just me and one other guy. I was his guest. He invited me to go. And they were like, hey, if a doe comes out, please shoot her. We have too many does on here. So I was like, okay. Eh, twist my arm. I'll do it. <laughs> So this is why you don't shoot does when you don't want to. I'm this like you didn't know we were about to get into the meat and potatoes of like tactics. Um but when you shoot does, it does hinder your opportunity to shoot bucks. So I shoot this doe and uh she dies right there, like drops. I shot her right through the top of the shoulder and it went out like Is that the, the one that made that awesome noise? And she made a terrible yeah. noise, yeah. Um, because it caught spine. So on the way in, it caught spine, but it hit all kinds of vitals mm-hmm. on it. But it was such a close range shot and I was elevated. She dies right there and she's like making this terrible noise. And I go to turn off my camera because I got it. And I was like, sweet. We killed a deer today. That's awesome. And uh, not 10 minutes after I shot um, another, I look back. So when she was with another doe. And that other doe ran off and was blowing and carrying on, doing all kinds of stuff. And she was still running around back there. And so I thought it was just her. And I hear a twig break and I just look back. I'm like, oh, it's a doe. And I look back and it's just this freaking Mondo, Mm -hmm. like this huge buck. 
standing at like 30 yards. It's like 180, right? And uh, I mean, I mean, let's you, talk you Mondo. Have... <laughs> let's talk Mondo for Alabama. Gotcha, gotcha. So he was legitimately probably 120 inches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But 120 inch deer, like, and that's being like honest about right. it. Like he was probably 120 inch deer. He was a good buck. Right. And um, so he's just sitting there looking at her dead right across the creek. She died on a creek crossing, and she's just laying there, and he's, like, looking at her, and you can tell he wants to come over. Yeah. Like, he really wants to cross, but he doesn't know what to think he's about going, this. Susan, what you doing? Yeah, <laughs> hey, girl, like, is everything all right? You, you good? <laughs> we good? Can you, I come you over there? You look a little peakish over there. <laughs> Where your boyfriend at? You like Mike and Ike's? She was waiting for Jerome just to, like, <laughs> yeah, bust out of the bro- yeah. bush. <laughs> so, um, so I'm, like, got my bow ready. Like, I'm so ready to mm-hmm. shoot this thing. Um, and he comes, like, he's about to cross, and he's kind of faced at me at this point. He's mm-hmm. cleared the, the trees and stuff, though. Like, I can see him clearly. And he's standing right on the edge at 26 yards. R- I mean – like wide open. I just need him to turn a little bit so I can do a nice quarter two shot, mm-hmm. hit those vitals. Well, then I see this Karen doe behind me, a different one, and she's like standing there, like looking at me, <laughs> and my wind's blowing right to her, like right yeah. in my face, right to her. She and she's like, you. pop, uh-huh. stomping her foot. And I'm like, yeah, gum it. I'm going to have to shoot her. And he looks over at her, and she <laughs> goes, whoosh, blows and runs over yeah. to him. And she's just, like, running around in circles. And I'm like, if he doesn't turn, I'm going to have to shoot him, like, straight up right in the chest. Yeah. So, he... Now, sh- now, now you have a real heavy arrow build. Yes. Yeah, right? I like, have, you wouldn't want to use two-blade two rage on that shot. But... No, for you sure. You have punched through some some serious mass with those yeah, arrows. Yeah, I don't like it. I yeah. don't like a straightforward right. shot, regardless. Because your chances of pass-through are pretty low. But, if you hit it, like, mm-hmm. if you hit it right It's money. There, it's a high. It's a... High risk, high reward type mm-hmm. situation, and yep. there's going to be it's going to spray blood. Yep, you got like, a hole on the bottom of the body, so it's going to exactly. go everywhere, head everything. Yeah. So I didn't shoot him that way though. Like I didn't shoot at him uh, that way. So he mo- turns just a little bit to kind of just a, a nice quarter two angle, and I shoot, and I don't know if I just didn't settle my pin. I, I don't. I really don't know what happened. But what it legit looked like is that my arrow curved. Away from him. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever shot a bad fletching? Absolutely. And it, like, curves? Yep. Especially or, when it comes off mid-flight. And for some reason, it, like, uh-huh. just even affects it even worse. Or if you, uh, if you like, barely clip a, uh, yep. like, a leaf yep. or something. It'll just, it's not going to take it totally off course, but it's going to throw it off just a little bit. And that's what it looked like my arrow did. Like, it just curved away from him and missed him by, like, mm-hmm. two inches. It missed vitals by about that much, right. but it missed his body by about two inches. Right. It was a very uh, narrow miss. And so I thought, you know, I used the zinger fletchings, mm-hmm. and so I thought maybe it fell off mid-flight or right. something. But when I went and got my arrow, it was perfectly fine. Yeah. Good. I mean. Was there any kind of, like, potential for, like, a twig to be in front of you or something? Just something nothing. weird happened? Is your bow on? When you, you watch the, when you watch, yeah, I mean, I killed a doe, like, two minutes before that. That's true. You know? Yeah. Like. Maybe you torqued it, like maybe some hand torque or something. Could have been. Yeah. It was at a weird angle. Um, So it was kind of like mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Like at, he was, I guess, I was, so I'm in the saddle and he was in about a, what would that be, like 7, seven o'clock. o'clock? yeah. Um, So it was a little bit of a weird angle, but not. Not crazy. Not crazy. And at 26 yards, yep. you know, I mean. 
a good podcaster that, is expected to make that shot. Exactly. <laughs> if you want something good to talk about. <laughs> so I missed him, but I killed a deer that day. So I yeah. was, I was, I was I, it was a mixed bag of emotions. Cause yeah. I'm always excited when I get to kill a deer. But when you miss one, a good one, like yep. probably would have been, mm, he may have been my best Alabama deer. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a good chance that he was my best Alabama deer, but if not, he was close second. Um, he's a good buck, and so and he had just like this thick mass to him, like he was just a just a swamp buck. And I've never killed like a big, huge buck on like on like swamp land. Yeah. Um, so that's that would have been cool. my bread and butter. Yeah, you would have loved this place because it was uh, it's managed by the state, like mm-hmm. pretty well managed by the state because it's such a small piece and it's right. a special opportunity hunt. And so uh, I was talking to Dave Owens today, actually, because yep. I was curious. Decent on, deer hunter. Yeah, he, he's decent. Um, <laughs> subpar turkey hunter, but he's a pretty he, decent deer hunter. He's really got to work on that diaphragm. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's it's sounding a little rough these days. <laughs> a little um, raspy. <laughs> but his, uh, his uh, I, I think it's his fiance now, Courtney, yeah. is the wildlife biologist or, or has been the wildlife biologist in that county mm. and so he was telling me about the place and you know kind of what she's done out there and I, there was a certain type of thicket and i don't know what it is um but these deer were just running the edges of it man really? it's like ta- i saw some of it out here actually when really? i was on my way to your house i don't know if it's like birch or ash hmm. or something like that it's not a it's not an oak i don't believe but they're about they're about yay big mm-hmm. you know not real big around um at the biggest maybe like that and they dr- grow straight up and they taper on their way up and yeah. it's a th- it's thick but there's not like briars and stuff don't grow in it so you can walk through it Sounds but like it's just pillows. i don't know what it is are I they should... short relatively short trees yeah yeah i mean yeah. probably for the most part like they probably got up to maybe 15 foot yeah. or so. Sounds like a Tupelo. I mean, sounds like, it could, I could be wrong, but it sounds like a Tupelo gum swamp. So whenever they came in and they clear cut a lot of the cypress uh, heads mm-hmm. way back in the forever ago, uh, one of the first things to come back and, and really dominate the area is Tupelo gum. Like Tupelo, like Tupelo. Honey. Mississippi. What? Tupelo, Mississippi. Maybe. You ever had Tupelo honey? Uh-uh. Oh, okay. That might be a regional thing. T-U-P-E-L-O. L-O. Tupelo. Tupelo. Yeah. Gum? I'm looking it up right now. Yep, Tupelo gum. He did mention that they planted some, some, some type of gum tree. Mm. Not quite. Uh Did you see it over here on the road on your way, like right before you got to the house on the left side of the road? I don't remember. I got you. We've had dinner since then. Um. Yeah, we've. It was it, somebody. I'll tell you what. If there's a listener, I believe there's probably no. It's not that there was some of this. Okay. Um. But it, it looked like I'll show you a picture of it. I got a picture of the stuff on my that right there. It looks like some type of ash oh, I don't or birch know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see how thick it is? Yeah, though? yeah, yeah, for sure. And then like uh, yeah, it's definitely not Tupelo. On this picture, so yeah, 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 yeah. You see it all right it's there. A swamp head for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they, it's it's planted there. You can tell it's planted there on purpose mm-hmm. because it's a very straight lines running the edges mm-hmm. and, and those deer man they love it the hard transition um it's that hard line transition yep. and i don't know that it offers them anything other than security cover 
Which during hunting season um, is is a lot. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal, but like I don't think they really bed down in it. Yeah. Um, because it's fairly wet. Yep. In it, uh, it holds a lot of water. Um, but they they use it almost just like as a blocker. Yeah. For their travel, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, it was cool. And then, so, uh, in that spot that I just showed you a picture of yesterday morning, I had a really good buck coming in. He wasn't as big as the, the one that I missed, but I just, I found this spot, man. And I was like, this is going to be mm-hmm. it. This is the spot. Mm-hmm. There's like this tall CRP grass over here to the left, just like perfect bedding cover. And I'd actually, on my way into scout that afternoon, I jumped a doe in some of this tall grass and I was mm-hmm. like, oh. Well, I bet they're all bedding right here. It's chilly enough. Like, yep. the sun's not going to bother them. It's not going to get, like, super yep. hot in there. It's chilly. You cannot see them if they're bedded down in you, there. And you can't approach them without them hearing you No, either. no. Right. You're absolutely not going to sneak up on them unless you know that they're there. Yep. And for the most part, you're not going to know. Uh, you're never going to know. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? No one's going to no know. No one's going to know. So I had, an old, know. I had an old timer tell me that those swamp heads, the reason why they use them, is because they can rely on thermals there, regardless of the wind, so long as it's not like a certain a certain degree of, of, of intensity. And if you look at those heads, and I think there's some serious validity to this. Yeah. If you look at those heads, you've got always you almost always have this hard transition line here. You'll have that head, and then you'll have like gallberry or um, um, pa- palmettos mixed in with some grass there area. And if you walk that edge, and you take the time to slow down, and, and Brett and I witnessed this uh, this past summer when we were scouting. When you get when you walk that edge, maybe you've got a crosswind that's going f- like let's say it's like five to seven miles an hour to the west. When you've got that thing to your east, and you stop, you can just feel it pulling right mm-hmm. off that landmass, and it's it's maybe a foot of water max in there, but there's enough of it, and it's shaded that you can count on a consistent thermal, and you have that 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 edge. Well, um, these deer, these deer in these type of areas, um, they are. They're incredibly dependent on thermals because it's it's uh, it's flat. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're de- I say this: they're dependent on the water to be the thermal correct. Yep, uh, conductor. I guess would be yep. the right the right thing because you in have the, no topography in the hills. Right, they're they're dependent on the the terrain. Mm-hmm. But out here, they're I mean they're they're using creeks and those like those like swamp creeks. I don't mm-hmm. know what you necessarily call them, but they're uh, they're not like running creeks. They're no. They're all loose. Yeah, it's a, yeah, looked great for duck hunting. Yeah, and they're traveling those edges of those creeks. Every big buck I saw out there was traveling the edge of water, mm-hmm. or like they would the edge of water that also have a lot of times those these creeks would separate like these thickets from hardwoods mm-hmm. from whatever this this tall grass. Right. Anyway, so I jumped this buck, or I didn't jump a buck. I Found this spot, mm-hmm. set set up there that evening, didn't see anything. I was like, man, this spot just, it had a three-way transition, hardwoods, grass, and this thicket. And if you can imagine, on all those hardline transitions, there's a creek, and it split off. And so basically, it just, mm-hmm. it separated all three of the transitions. I was like, man, this is just too good. It's also the first place that I found a scrape and a rub out there. Oftentimes. I mean, the, and this, go ahead. And, and they don't rut till January. Mm-hmm. So I knew this has to be a spot. So mm-hmm. yesterday morning I'm out there and wind's perfect in my face all morning long. About 7.55 rolls around and the birds start going nuts. I was like, there's deer coming. 
and I thought that the birds were going nuts behind me because I had a bogging on because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was cold. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we were bogging, it like messes with your definitely perception. Your, yeah, the direction. Yeah, your direct. Yeah, your sense of direction. Mm-hmm. And so I was like kind of looking behind me, and I caught this movement out of the corner of my eye, and he was coming right towards me, mm-hmm. right down that hard line. And man, the wind was in my face all morning long. Never once did I drop milkweed and it was going the wrong direction. And so I like pull, get my bow, get my camera on him, turn on my 360 camera, make sure it's recording. And he is about to, uh, he's at 26 yards as well. And he stops right behind a tree that completely blocked his vitals. I probably could have like just threaded a shot in there. Right. But after having missed that other buck, I was like, I do not. I want a perfect shot. Yeah. And so I'm like sitting there about to draw my bow, just waiting for him to take a couple more steps because I drill him at 25, you know. Yeah. Broadside. And all of a sudden I feel cold wind behind, on my neck. And he. Heart sunk. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, he's not coming. And he just 180, like got up on his hind legs and ran back. Yeah. And then a few minutes later, I had two does come right in front, right down the same trail. And they walked right in front of me, did exactly what he was going to do, mm-hmm. and walked. They probably were 10 yards. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so I guess that all to say, no, I have not killed an Alabama <laughs> buck this year. So, so two things. We'll start about the, with the habitat first because the, the next one will, will, will derail us into, into more hunting topics. But I, I want people who are listening to this show, what you just heard is someone else validate something that I feel like I have been saying a lot. And I don't kill the biggest deer. I don't kill a ton of deer. A good year for me is three, four, four deer, right? Like that's a, that's a great year for me, really. One to two deer is probably just a good year. But a lot of that has to do with it's kind of difficult to get on deer in this area. But you, you, noticed very, you notice and pick up on very key patterns that you can utilize uh, to your advantage to find and get on deer. And one of the things I'm always telling people, and I'm, I'm speaking directly to the Patreon group, and there's a few guys in there who are really getting their teeth wet when it comes to Florida uh, feet wet. Feet wet. Yeah. (laughs) Don't get Well, they're probably getting their teeth wet too, because they're (laughs) South Florida guys. But um, I'm always telling them to find those, those hard transition lines, but also that three way junction. I have a guy from Southeast Georgia. He sent me a bunch of, of, uh, aerials. And he's like, what stands out to you on this map? And I took a screenshot and I circled like three or four areas. And I'm like, and I sent it to him and he said, why? And I said, there's three, there's three different types of habitat changes. If you, if we know deer like a two way and you can find a three way. Okay. Let's change that up. <laughs> if you know, <laughs> everybody likes a two way. So obviously a three way has got to be better. Uh, right. Yeah, I that's mean, that's, it. that's, that's it. I mean, just, College. Common sense. College. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So <laughs> if y'all haven't already, you need to go to, to Parker's Instagram because that's going to be awesome. It'll still be up. I'm going to drop this tomorrow. But if you know a, 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 a three-way transition line or two-way transition line is money, then a three-way gives them ample opportunities. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have brows and security cover and thermals and all these different things that you just discussed. So if you listen to this episode and you were just kind of bebopping along listening to that and you weren't really breaking it apart – rewind it, take a moment, rewind it, and listen to what Parker just said, because I really feel like that is a money blueprint for all of Florida, because you're not going to have topography in Florida. 
It's not going to happen. You will have sloughs, you will have hardwoods, and you will have grassy areas. Maybe it's bushy areas. Think outside the box. Apply that when you look at a map. Try and find those three-way transition lines and key in on them because at a bare minimum, it's going to tell you what's in the area. The fact you found a scrape there, every time I'm in a swamp and I find it, or a pine flat and I find a three-way transition uh, area, I find rubs, I find scrapes, and, and they are hit. I mean, obviously when they have velvet, they're not hitting it, but they seem to be getting hit all the time and that's a social hub it, it, it it's huge yeah it's um it's always been something for me that i have uh found a lot of value in you know and there's a guy i'm actually going to record a podcast with him this week his name's matt powell and he is uh, uh him and another guy named ben harrison they run the bow hunting league um which is a killer face chase is in it right now uh yeah and, like, dude, it is such a – like, if you want to find the best deer killers in, out in uh, the country, mm-hmm. that's the group to go to because these guys kill big deer and they kill a lot of them. So Matt Powell, I did an episode with him about two years ago called X Marks the Spot, and he was basically just saying this exact same thing. He's killed seven bucks this year. That's if he didn't kill one today. And he almost always that kills seems, one like every day. Seems highly illegal. That's well, not in different states. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's gone all over and done it. Yeah, um, yeah. And he's just so consistent, man. And he's doing some of it on private, some of it on public. Mm-hmm. But he's uh, he he says, you know, the thing that I figured out that gets me in bow range. He's done all this with a bow. Mm-hmm. The thing that I find out that gets me in bow range of these bucks is setting up where there's the most habitat change mm-hmm. the most the highest number of transitions so yeah a two-way transition is great and most of the time that's about what you got to work with especially like in alabama we have big hardwoods and clear cuts but Florida, if you can Georgia, find, i found that to be the case across the board if you can find in the south typically what you're going to have florida uh maybe might be the exception to this because i've seen more habitat change in florida mm-hmm. than just about anywhere else mm-hmm. In the south. Um, but like Alabama, you're going to have pines, mm-hmm. you're going to have hardwoods, and you're going to have clear cuts. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be about what you get for the most part. Now, in swampy type areas, you'll have like this stuff that I was talking about, th- these thickets with uh, hardwoods and mm-hmm. maybe like a, a marshy type so- something or another. I'll give people the blueprint. I guarantee you, you can find this habitat in on every, I would be willing to bet cold hard cash, your entire life savings, that not much. <laughs> uh, that you can find this three way from the jump, and then you can start finding more subtle ones because there are real obvious transition lines, and then sometimes in a swamp there can be really subtle ones. But this one can be found in almost every South Georgia, Florida, and South Alabama, probably probably low country of South Carolina, tall pines, peter pines. And a, and a SMZ. Oh, yeah. You can find where there are grown pines and there are young pines coming up against each other and where those two things come up against each other and there's a creek bottom with hardwoods. You can find that three-way point, and every time you find it, you're going to find sign. may not be right. killer. So, just went to this national forest that's mm-hmm. close to your house. Yep. And just, I'm on Spartan Forge, just pulled up Spartan Forge. Have never looked at this place before. And from a very high view, I can see 
especially you can see it on Spartan Forge as opposed to like Onyx, right. where everything's just a green blob. Right. On Spartan Forge, you can see. I mean, let's let's look. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And Money. there's your three-way transition. I mean, like, yep. The stuff is not that complicated. It's not. Um, it's it, taking it's, it's taking a lot and looking for the, for what's selective in, exactly. in in the monotonous. If we were to go if we were to go out here tomorrow, I would be looking for there's another one right there. Yep. And it's subtle. Yep. But you can you can find these things. I mean, I'm guessing is that like palmetto? Yep, open palmetto open pines. Open palmetto yep. pines, that's that, probably a hardwood creek bottom. It is indeed. Yep. Um and then you have something else right there. So the other thing that plays into it is terrain. Mm -hmm. Um and in flatland like this, your terrain is going to mostly be like creeks. Yeah, 100%. you know, uh, like that's going to be kind of kind of take the place. It's going to substitute for terrain Absolutely. where I hunt in the mountains. Yeah, um, like we've got benches and drainages. Joey Bell calls them hollers. Hollers. Uh, yep. Straight got called out by you Joey did. Bell this that week. That dude's savage. Yeah, he ate uh, his Wheaties that morning. He brought his A game. My Good gosh. God, he's like. What did he say? Podcasters, I see through you. Yeah, that's what he said. It's not yeah. called a drainage. It's called it's a holler. <laughs> um, so you've got like benches, saddles, hollers. Yep. Uh, like just stuff like that yep. that you can that can be used as if you find this three-way transition and it happens to have these terrain features mm -hmm. right in the middle of mm -hmm. it. That's perfect. Yep. That's always the spots that I'm going to go and check out and try to try to hunt. Yeah. Um, it limits you on what you feel confident in. I it will does. say that. Yeah. Because it's a very, very rare occasion that I go and hunt open hardwoods. And without fail, every year I hear people like, I was just sitting out there in the open hardwoods or on a pine, a pine flat and this big buck walked out. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, that's cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, maybe it was luck. Maybe you just, maybe you knew like that's a good spot. You know, sometimes it works out, but for me. I am not – if somebody says, like, you got this place to hunt and it has just nothing but woods, yeah. like hardwoods, yeah. or just nothing but pines, like, I'm like, ah. yeah, I just don't feel confident in it. it. It comes – I mean, I put four or five years hunting just darn near only pine flats in southeast Georgia, pine and palmetto flats. And there's subtleties to that. You'll have a gallberry bush uh, flat that comes down, and there'll be a little – so where they, they drained uh, – this is a prime example – where in the early 20th century, they cut canals to drain things. Well, those canals weren't maintained. They all fell in, and if you push into the brush, all of a sudden, boom, it drops down a foot, a foot and a half. And if you get down and you see and you look at a deer's angle, there's a run that runs through the woods three, 400 yards before it turns. Mm -hmm. And if you look down, you got deer sign. Well, that's the path of least resistance that, that runs through there. And so mm -hmm. you, you'll be running, and all of a sudden that'll dump into a, a pine flat where it opens up, and you'll have gallberry bushes on one side and tie ties on the other side. Tie ties are might have been what that was, actually. We call them tie ties. I don't know what their actual term is, but they're like this swampy bush, tallish tree. Um, uh, I thought tie ties and gallberries were the same thing. I don't think so. Gallberries are relatively. Sh I don't know, man. Maybe it is. I thought you told me that. So if you didn't Maybe. tell me that, then I don't know. It sounds like something Colin told you. Um. <laughs> well, so when I hunted Ocala National Forest, yeah. is that where I hunted? Yeah, yeah. Ocala yep. National Forest. Um, I got on deer relatively quick by using mm -hmm. this stuff, using the same. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and it, there was a, a type of bush, and I th it was either gallberries or tie ties or something. Yep. 
Uh, but it's thick, man. I mean, like you could not. I had like a, I had a bear walking through it, mm-hmm. and you I heard had, them long before you saw them, didn't you? Oh yeah, 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 dude. I mean, it was like stupid how loud it was. Yeah. Deer, I heard deer walking through it, and I I could always just say like, okay, there's a deer coming. Yeah, they just couldn't move through it quietly. Yeah, um, but they were on the edge of it, like on the edge of that, in a palmetto flat. There's just just beat up trail, dude. I think one day I saw 14 deer out there. You did. My first day hunting it, I saw 14 yep. deer. The next day hunting it, I hunted just a little bit different spot. I saw like seven deer, uh, two bears, mm-hmm. and a bunch of turkeys. Like mm-hmm. it was just wildlife haven, right, right there because of all those that those hard line transitions that came together. Like, and I know people who who if there's people out there, there's probably not a lot who listen to anything that I. Anytime I'm a, I'm a guest on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about this because I think it's the most valuable thing that I know. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's the most consistent thing that I know. Like this year has been a really hard year, not necessarily for sightings, but for my execution. Right. So I've put myself in the right position, but my execution's just been crap. It's been terrible. I think it's it's also valuable because it works, but it's also valuable because I think it's something that's easily applicable for people. Mm-hmm. It, you cannot mistake a three way transition zone. Mm-hmm. It, it just it is what it is. We, whether it's in person or whether it's 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 on an aerial, when you look and the habitat looks different in three different you know in in three different ways, that's a place to, that's a place to key on. And I think a lot of times you have these guys who are breaking down these huge tracts of land, and it's huge and it's overwhelming, mm-hmm. or even it's it's a monotonous piece, a relatively monotonous piece of property that's smaller it's like what do i focus in on because maybe it's primarily pines well if you go and it it works it just works everywhere you go finding that three-way pines are maybe one of the hardest things because the canopy of pines block anything Mm -hmm. from an aerial map yep um especially if they're mismanaged if they're not thinned and whatnot yeah Yeah. you're not gonna see what's actually underneath Mm -hmm. the canopy yeah um but man, sometimes in pines you'll find, like, where they've maybe burned or cleared out, That's, and yep. then you'll find where they didn't, and it makes a hard line transition that you're gonna have to see it. Yep. In person to know that it's there, but they can be really good, and I find that I think it's, I think it's a simple thing. Like, I always assume that pines are bedding, because yeah, more because or less. pine straw is going to be the most comfortable thing that a deer could probably find in the woods and you tend to if you have pine straw to be laying on you tend to have good line of sight uh-huh and so yeah. you, you can put your back up against something here's the three-way where i killed that doe in 2019 that came out this is uh-huh. where i have all the big bucks on that national forest and that track this oh hold on let me swap because it's in it's not in the fall mode spartan forge is great because so you have the satellite during the summer uh-huh. and then look at the look at the, di- the difference the right there right yeah so this is a creek bottom Right, this is a little bit of a transition between the creek bottom, but then when you zoom in, this is thinned out pines. It's wide open. That's where I set up, and then these are uh, uh, pines with red oaks mixed in. And there was a trail. I, I kid you not, that comes right out of this corner, and that's where that doe came right out to me in, in, mm-hmm. in the tree line. And they were bedded, and because there was this creek, you had about a three foot elevation change with cool with cool air. So the thermals are pulling in. Everything you just said, mm-hmm. everything we just said in one one conversation in a what a 30 minute conversation that's why i killed that deer and when i started going back and looking at why i killed it where i was dude it stood out like a sore thumb they actually look at it you've, you've really it looks like you've got three different or four different things so you have the open right mm-hmm. here you have the pine uh 
Little thicker. Yep. The red the red oak. With the red oaks. Mm-hmm. And then this, whatever that is. It's a pine thicket. So so while it might be the same type of vegetation, mm-hmm. it's thicker. Denser. Denser. Yeah. yeah. It, it creates a hard line. Yep. Um, man, I think, uh, you know, people, there's a lot of things that go into the way that I hunt. Um, pressure has ever, you could find all this stuff, but if it's getting hunted every weekend, the deer probably aren't going to be there. Well, you, you may still see the sign from when they're not pressured or when they're moving through at night. Right. But I think pressure is like one of the m- largest c- contributing factors to, uh, being successful. Absolutely. You know? Um, but when, when you're talking about unpressured deer, uh, I'm trying to transition us into yep. what you want to talk about. You take it. Um, when you're talking about unpressured deer is when you can use these things, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I would, if I, if I were to go to, let's just say, uh, what's a random Cahaba. Let's talk about Cahaba mm-hmm. in, uh, Alabama. And I'm talking about Cahaba cause I don't hunt Cahaba. So <laughs> Dave Owens does. Does he? I think so. I don't think he does. Are you saying that because you don't want people to fly to Cahaba? No, I really, I really don't think he does. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I thought he did. It's like far away from where he lives. I don't so. know anything, obviously. Uh-huh. So Cahaba is pretty popular because it's right close to Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and so it's really not giving away any secrets. Right. You know. Uh, but I can't remember what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, if I were to go to Cahaba where they're in and um, see 100 yards away from mm-hmm. a parking area, there's a saddle, mm-hmm. a clear saddle on a ridge. Probably not going to ever hunt there because that is going to be the first thing that people see when they look at a map of that place. Mm -hmm. And if it's easy to get to, there's a good chance of something like that. I wouldn't even consider that to be an overlooked spot because everybody has seen that on a map Mm -hmm. if it's there. I don't know if Cahaba has a saddle or not. But I'm just saying, somebody like, somewhere is going. Some of Curse these, you, Parker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably Dave Owens. <laughs> yeah. um, there's, there's a, there's, there's overlooked spots that a lot of times won't have anything obvious yeah. on a map. Yeah. To make you, and then there's the things that are just obvious. Everybody knows that deer like to travel saddle. Sure. Um, so you're gonna have a tree stand, probably mm-hmm. a ladder stand set yep. up right on that saddle somewhere. Yep. A lot of times these hard transition lines, a lot, it's not a secret that deer like edge. Right. And so when you find these these lines, if you're in an easily accessible spot mm-hmm. um, or if you're on the edge of private land where they have easy access to it, yep. uh, you're going to find that it's getting pressured. Um, in fact, the biggest deer that I've killed in Alabama, I killed it early season, uh, October the 23rd, I think, mm-hmm. of 19. So I think it was 19, two years ago. And I killed him with my bow, and I have hunted that spot three times since then, and not ever seen a single other deer. Really? But there's also a ladder stand set up <laughs> right on that spot. Mm-hmm. Now, from the public aspect, nobody's getting to it unless they use a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, from the private aspect, there's a road that goes right to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, if it's getting pressure, I, I was there at the beginning of the season, so... It, Typically in Alabama, bow season is pretty lightly pressured. Like you're not mm-hmm. going to see a lot of the private lane guys out there. They're waiting until rifle season. That's the real opener. Um, but there is a ladder stand sitting there. I've hunted it with a rifle three times since then. Not seen a single deer. Hardly even any deer sign. And if you look at it on the map, dude, it looks perfect. It's Man. a it's a pine thicket with a clear cut and then hardwoods on the public side. 
And that's what that big buck was doing. He was coming out that transition line, and there's a ditch that basically, like, just a small little indention uh, in the terrain right there that that deer was traveling. And he was going to go bed overlooking the water. Um, But there wasn't deer there. There's not deer there anymore. I mean, there probably wasn't a whole lot of deer there that day whenever I went in there. It was just the right day, and he did exactly what I knew he was going to do, um, or what I thought that, that the deer might do, because I had found bedding on these points before, um, and I just went in there and, and killed him. I was there on the right day. So, that my point being, like, you want to find, the, the everything is so dependent on pressure, if you want deer to be doing, if you want to see deer do what deer do, You've got to get away from yeah. the pressure. Right. Then you'll see deer traveling these type of areas, right. you know. Doing what they see on your show. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So so let's transition into that because last week I wanted to get you on the podcast and I just lost track of time. The kid. It's a good excuse. I just beat that dead horse. You know, my kids keep me from doing <laughs> uh, anything fun. I got yeah, issues. Issues kid, yeah. Issues uh, with kid. But... You were like, yo, uh, I'm coming through town. Do you want to do an in-person podcast? Which is always better, dude. This dynamic is just awesome because I can see you and pick up on your visual cues. Uh, But one of the things I've been trying to do um, is replicate a lot of your success, right? Like, And I don't mean that in like an overly flattering or demeaning way, This the way that this season's going. But I I mean (laughs) that in in all seriousness because you have found something – and a pattern and a process that works for you over and over and over and over again. Um, highly dependent on water, right? If it, there's not water there, your, your process changes. Um, but I think you still pretty much apply the same principle. You're looking for certain habitat. Uh, but I, I started looking around me, and I've spent five years now breaking down Florida public land. And there are some benefits, and there are some gra- there is some great hunting, but there's a lot of frustrating areas around here to be hunted Mm. and one of the things i looked at when i saw you getting success is you used water to uh not necessarily always get away from people but access it in a way that other people don't Mm -hmm. right and so i bought a good new this year my wife bought me a good new this year i should say Uh, it's a 15 foot fiberglass uh flat backed GNU, you got to see it today. Yeah, it's, it's longer. longer than, <laughs> it's longer than it looks in pictures. And <laughs> That's gir- what she girthier, said. Um, girthier as well. And you were impressed. It looks like it, you think it'll pass the sniff test when it comes to hauling a deer out. Yeah, yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, I thought that beforehand. Yeah. But seeing it in person, like really, it is wider than I. Than right. It looks like in the pictures. Yeah. I think like, it's forty-three inches wide. I think the only issue that I have with hunting with a kayak. I have a little motor that I put on mine. Yeah. It's a 2.5 horsepower Yamaha. And, dude, in the daylight, I'll run that thing, and it gets me mm-hmm. where I need to go quick. It's the mornings, like, yeah. running in the mornings, like, I've hit stumps in mm-hmm. it. And my my kayak's not going to flip, mm-hmm. but I could lose my balance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. you hit a stump hard enough going, yep. going 10 miles an hour, yep. and... Like, I had one time, I was down on a WMA in South Alabama, and uh, I hit a, a cypress stump. Mm-hmm. So, you know how they look like little horns coming yep. out of the water? Yep. And I popped that thing, yeah. and it, fl- it it turned my whole boat sideways. Mm-hmm. So, this is a testament to New Canoe. It didn't flip it. Really? Um, no, it wasn't even really close to flipping it, but it turned me sideways, and uh, my paddle, like, fell out and yeah. I had to go turn around and go get my paddle floating in the water. 
like there it's and that that make your butthole wink. Sure. You know, yep. going ten miles an hour in the dark. Yep. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do to make myself a little more efficient, especially on some I killed a deer last year that was five miles away from the boat ramp. Sweet. Um, and that was using my kayak, but it took me so I dude, I was up at like one o'clock in the morning that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I knew you had to take your time. I had to take my time getting there. I mean, mm-hmm. five miles is a long ways to go in the dark. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially when you're not going 10 miles an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You get there, what, 30 minutes if you can go yeah. full, full bore. But yep. if, if it, I mean, it took me every bit of an hour and a half, hour 45 to get back there. So that means if it gets daylight right now at what six o'clock mm-hmm. uh, is when I mean it's probably shooting light at six o'clock I right think so, now. Yeah, um, maybe not here. It's like right at seven, so it's about six. Yeah, for you. so it'd be six for me. Yeah, because you're right on that cusp of the east, uh-huh. the eastern central. <laughs> yep. So it, it's getting it's getting daylight. Man, I'm so jealous. You you get an extra hour. Jeez. Um, if you're getting there at six o'clock, that means, or if you're trying to be set up at six o'clock, that means. That you need to be in your tree, be at the base of your tree by five thirty mm-hmm. or so. Yep. Um, and that's that's really still pushing it. I was about like, to say I like to be set up an hour light. before shooting light. Right. Yeah, that's getting yeah. set up at light. So if yeah. you want to get there, let's just say you want to get there thirty minutes before shooting light, and be set up ready to go. Mm-hmm. That means you need to get there at five thirty. Yep. You need to be in your tree at five thirty, ready yep. to go. So you need to be at the base of your tree at like five fifteen. Which means if it takes you an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes, you're in the boat at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Yep. Like, that's... That's, that's, that's dedication. That's, that's tough. Yeah. If you have a boat, though, that goes... 23 miles an hour? Twenty, Yeah, 23 miles an hour. No, I'm not going to run that at night. I can tell you that much. But if... But if good. Yeah, I'll I mean, probably run 5 to... Five to ten. I mean, we got some really stumpy lakes and rivers around yeah. here. I'm going to really take my time. But you're but still, you're still moving. About... Your your margin for error is drastically larger. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know the kayak is sexy. Mm-hmm. It, it gets it those looks, clicks. It looks cool whenever. You, but <laughs> man, it makes my decisions a lot of times. Sure. On where I want to go. Sure. Because I'm like, I don't want to deal with that this morning. Mm-hmm. And it's it really has nothing. It's not a knock on like new canoe or kayak hunting in general. Mm-hmm. But when I'm trying to be efficient, mm-hmm. that's not always the best way. There are ways right. that a kayak is more efficient. It's ver- it's more versatile right. than because I can go five or six miles in my kayak. I can also go down a tiny little creek. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. it's definitely got versatility. But sometimes it's not the most uh, most efficient way to do it. So. Um, that's one of the things that I'm like, I was really impressed by your GNU cause it definitely looks like mm-hmm. it would add that little bit of stability yeah. or, or com- maybe, maybe confidence from the stability. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I don't have any qualms about taking that boat out. Um, first off from a gator standpoint, right? Like my, my kayak is at least as long as the longest gator on the, on the lake. Right. So right. That there's, there's that. Um, there's also like, I have been, I, I showed you out there at the, the canoe actually sits, uh, about where it did on the trailer, where it did me when I was waiting in the marsh and I was able to just throw my leg up into the canoe and step up into the canoe mm-hmm. and it didn't tilt. It didn't lean. I mean, it moved a little bit cause that's what a boat does, but, uh, I stand up in the seat and push pull. 
mean, that's how I got through the march. Mm-hmm. When I once I got to where the trolling motor couldn't take me any further, I stand, I fold the seat over, I stand up on top of the seat with my with my paddle. I'll have a push pull soon, and I just push my way through. Mm-hmm. I, you can only get so high off of a kayak before you you do start to jeopardize some of that yeah. stability. Um, you could put, I think, so it's got, a, um, I think close to a thousand pound capacity in that thing. So yeah, you probably got 75, s- yeah, probably because my kayak, my new canoe has like six fifty. Right. So I got an 80 pound mo- motor on the back. I got a three gallon gas tank. I've got me at 200 pounds. Um, okay. 220. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> and a, and a 25 pound sack. I mean, I've got room for. Two, you have three. a twenty-two pound sack with camera gear, platform. I don't have your fancy stick. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. You, yeah, it went over right your over head. Walking. That's a big old sack. That's a big old sack, man. <laughs> I have to special order my uh, <laughs> special order my pants. <laughs> I'm two twenty. Really, two hundred. I just yeah. got a twenty-two pound sack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 rein this in. Um, so let's talk about water access because one of the things you do is you backdoor uh, public <laughs> land. <laughs> um, I did that one on purpose. You backdoor a lot of a lot of access on 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 water. What decisions go into not necessarily how you travel because navigation is something you can learn any number of ways, and that's not really interesting to people. When you're deciding where you're going to go on the on whatever lake or body of water it is that you are, what are you looking for when you're when you're headed that direction that stands out to you? Uh, man, I'll tell you what. In Alabama, some of my favorite property to hunt is. TVA land. So it's Tennessee Valley Authority. Um, And it's not a secret to anybody. It's just really nasty most of the time. Like, it's hard to get to. Yep. Um, But I, Corps of Engineers land, every state pretty much has some type of Corps of Engineers land. Except Florida and Georgia, unfortunately. Georgia doesn't? None. Are you sure? Positive. Mm. I think Georgia does. I don't think so. I think Anyway. Keep going. Like, Missouri has... Corps of Engineers land. Uh, I Corps land. I'm just sticking around. Okay. Well, I, I think Georgia does. 100%, yeah. Um, uh, Tennessee does. Yep. Uh, most, most, most of the southeast has got uh-huh. Corps land because we built all the lakes during during the, the, mm-hmm. the Great Rebuild. And that's the thing is it's yep. always around water, mm-hmm. and it's just undeveloped property yep. is all it is. And so usually it's nasty. They don't manage it. Uh, they don't burn it or anything. It's just undeveloped land mm-hmm. that you can hunt. It's public land, and then usually it's on water. And the thing I usually like a lot about it is that it is completely inaccessible by walking. Can we pause for a second? Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that you said I think is is striking. Uh, it it's not managed. Mm-mm. And when a lot of people think public land, they're they I think they they key in on like. This WMAX four on one side. They plant food plots. You can't shoot anything unless you shot a doe first. You know, it's a quota hunt only. And they hone in on that. Maybe that's a good reason to do that. I'm not saying it's not. You're saying, I like this really undesirable track solely because it's hard to get to by other people. Yeah, because like I said, pressure is the most important thing. Right. The other thing is, like, I don't know if people, if anybody that, any of your listeners have ever hunted Tennessee or Mm -hmm. a lot of them probably live in Tennessee. Tennessee does... I'm I'm not trying to knock the TWRA, but they kind of do a crap job of management mm-hmm. on their on their properties. Like it's all like crap woods, hard to walk through. 
Um, like I've heard turkey hunted Tennessee and I don't know how I've ever killed a turkey out there because you take a step and you're breaking branches because it's just crap woods. Mm-hmm. But a lot, it offers a lot for whitetails. Mm-hmm. Um, like as, as long as they've got food, the other thing that Tennessee does well is they have crops uh, on a lot of their public land. And so, you know, the deer have food, they have habitat to stay for security. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of freaking deer in Tennessee. I think I've had uh, you. I've been on your podcast before, and I said that I I believe Tennessee is one of the greatest states for Southern sportsmen mm-hmm. because I mean they have such they have tons of turkeys, they got tons of deer. It's a great place to live and a great place to hunt, but they don't do almost any management. It seems like on their property, as far as like burning and mm-hmm. cutting and all Chamber that stuff. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That, I, I don't really think they do a whole lot of that, and uh, I believe it was Adam crews that told me uh that they don't they don't do a whole lot on their on their wmas there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of management that goes Mm -hmm. in goes into it but um but the the the, a lot of this core of engineers type property in any state that i've been to and hunted it so i've hunted it in uh, missouri i've hunted it in alabama and i've hunted it maybe in tennessee i have hunted in tennessee and it's all kind of the same it's it all looks the same, just crap woods, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's very very hard to get to, and there's not a lot of it, you know. So it'll just kind of run the edges of a body of water. So it's not like you have like big huge, five hundred acre tracks chunks of it. It's going to be like little tiny slivers mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. And so I really like those type of places as far as pressure goes because a lot of people are going to look at a map and say that's not a whole lot of room to roam. It's not a whole lot of room to look. Uh, but if you can find a lot of the thing and a lot of these deer, man, they, they've just learned to adapt and lived in the, in those kind of places. And so it's, uh, that, that's some of my favorite stuff to hunt, but really any, any, um, any water access place usually has some area, like any WMA or national forest or public land piece of property has some part of it that is inaccessible by foot mm-hmm. or very difficult to access by foot or counterproductive yes sometimes where you want to yes. hunt is down by the water but you've got to walk through you, all of the yep. land to get down there yep and uh when you go from the like, kentucky is a good example so there's a spot that i hunt in kentucky this whole place man you can pretty much walk anywhere you want to except this tiny little piece like very little spot like maybe a couple hundred acres or less that is hard to get to. Mm-hmm. And I killed a really good buck in there last year. This year I uh, killed, or I, I killed a buck, but I didn't find him. Um, I put a really good shot on him. Yep. I, I know he probably died. A uh, buddy of mine went in, he got drawn to hunt it with a right, with a muzzleloader and he killed a solid freaking buck in there. Um, and saw a big, we both saw, have seen big deer in this area. Just about every time I've sat there, dude, like it's been very rare that I didn't see a buck in this area. And it's because it's the only spot on this whole piece of public land that mm-hmm. you just. What, so I'll, I'll tell you, we went in to track a buck, the, the buck that I didn't recover. Mm-hmm. We walked in because that was the only way I could get people back there is by walking in. And it was a long dang ways. Like mm-hmm. I could not imagine trying to walk out there early in the morning to mm-hmm. hunt it. Um, just inaccessible 
pretty much. Yeah. There is probably people who walk in every once in a while, but it's right. way less than anywhere else. And so that's always been the kind of spots that stick out the most to me, man. Is I, I always, um, my scouting that I do is, it's not like what other people, it's not the way that other people scout. My scouting is I'm going to find a piece of, of land. I'm going to try to drive to it. Mm-hmm. And if I can't drive to it, then I'm probably going to hunt there. I'm probably going to throw a hunt at it if it offers all the things that I mentioned prior, um, like the habitat, the nice transitions and all that stuff. But the the way I scout it is usually I'm going to drive to it, try to drive to it. If I can't drive to it, then that's a win. Mm-hmm. That means I'm probably going to throw a sit at it. Um, and if I happen to just go in there like during turkey season or something, I do a lot of my scouting during turkey season. Um, if the terrain lays out well and the – vegetation looks like i thought it would mm-hmm. i'll throw a sit at it that's how i mean just about everywhere that i've ever hunted that's exactly how i found it so i think one of the things that i've glossed over in this process is of all the people who i would bet money are going to kill deer you rank among uh the andy mays the the jake bushes in the sense that i expect you not like, you know, oh, I expect you, but more like I just – it's like in any time I see a text message from you, when I go to pull it up, it's like he's probably killed something, right? Like <laughs> that's just what I expect. Not quite the caliber of the Andy May. And, uh, Is there a cat right there? I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, at first I thought it was a ghost. But... I did too. Yeah, it was the ghost of Buck shot at past. Um, but I expect you to kill deer and in the sense that they just – they kill deer, right? But you don't effing scout, bro. You don't scout. Not before the season, not after the season. You are the epitome of, and and I say this, you get to hunt seven days a week now. But (laughs) this applies to the weekend warrior, which is 99.99999%. In fact, if you're listening to this podcast, you almost have to be, by default, a weekend warrior. Just because, realistically speaking, the guys who hunt seven days a week, they aren't listening to podcasts about hunting. For sure. Um. But you go, you find a spot on the map using this template that you found success. You go, you hunt, maybe you get down and scout while you're there. But that's like all that you do. Everything is in-season scouting yeah. for me. Yeah. Which tur- blows or my turkey mind. turkey season scouting. Right. Um, I find most of my spots by one turkey hunting. And mm-hmm. turkey hunting will take you all over creation if you let it. Right. You'll walk a lot of places. Yep. With no leaves on the trees and fresh sign. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you'll you see exact. oh, sorry. You'll You're see good. exactly how something lays out, how it, uh, you'll, you, turkey season is, to me, the best time. Because in Alabama, turkey season starts like three weeks after deer season's over. Right. So, Same here. So it's like, yep. I mean, you're pretty much seeing a lot of the fresh, fresh sign and, and stuff yep. like that. So, uh, but then, I mean, uh, let's, let's see, I've killed. Uh, one of my biggest bucks, public land deer, on a first time sit, first time ever going, stepping foot on that area. Um, another one of my good bucks, I killed the uh, second time I hunted an area, like or, or went into it, mm-hmm. stepped foot on it. Like most of it has to do with these these common denominator. Mm-hmm factors you know that Mm -hmm. i've talked about before um and i mean in big woods let's just be real in in the big woods type areas 
mountainous type stuff, uh, hilly stuff. Um, a lot of it's going to be monotonous, mm-hmm. you know, woods, big woods. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, the deer have so many places that they can be at any point in time. Like one bedding, just because you find a big buck bed on a point, he's got another one 300 yards away. On the next point. On the next one, yeah. yeah. I, like y- he's not going to be doing the same thing every single day over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Mm-hmm. He's just going to kind of, they're, they're nomadic, really. Yeah. And um, you're going to find your best sign, your your best your best scouting is your most recent sign. It's just, it's got to be. And if I'm going in in July or June, they're, they're not going to be where I'm hunting them at. Because as soon as those acorns start dropping, which in Alabama, they're, the acorns are already dropping when the season opens. So we, don't, we can't hunt in September. Our season opens at the earliest October 1st. You've already got acorns on the ground, and everything has already shifted. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, um, so you could do all the scouting you want, and but it's not going to be scouting for fresh sign. You're not you're not going right. to find that. You know. Now, what you might find, if a lot of times, if I just decide I want to go scouting in July, which usually I don't because it's too hot, I don't want to. It's just a waste bass of time. fishing. Yeah, I'll go bass fishing. I'll be actually spending time with my family and and working. Family um, season. Yep. That that would be that would be more beneficial to me, but if I do like when I first started doing the kayak access stuff, I did a lot of scouting mm-hmm. preseason mm-hmm. just because I wanted to be set up for the season, and which was ended up being a good idea. But I was just going to the beaches, um, because during the summer it's hot. Mm-hmm. This is just logic, right? It's hot. Deer water are going to be around mm-hmm. water. Yep. If a beach doesn't have deer tracks on it, then flip that spot. I'm not going right. to be there. Right. But if it has deer tracks on it, then I know, okay, there's deer in the area. October comes around. I'll go in there and I'll find the things that mm-hmm. make sense for them to be at hot feed trees, hard transition lines, just things like that. So, um, yeah, I don't do any, like I really don't do like people so, say like scouting is, the, is where you kill a deer and eh. I, I feel like I there's get more than it in one, some places. There's there's more than one way it's going to count. I mean, you mm-hmm. got to remember, you also have the privilege of hunting as often as you do. Sure. Now I didn't then. You've always hunted more than the average person. Mm. Maybe it's just not because of my not because of my schedule. Maybe it's just my priority. Maybe M- might be. <laughs> but you do. I feel like consistently in the past few years, you've gotten out more than most people. More than I, the weekend I'll, warrior. I'll, yeah, more than Friday and Saturday. Right. Yes. And or so, Saturday and Sunday. Right. Now I will say, I have been a. A lot of people have this perception, too, because as a pastor, which I was, mm-hmm. I don't get to hunt on Sundays. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm never hunting. I never right. hunted Sundays. Like right. this year was like the first time I've <laughs> I've hunted like three Sundays this year. It's been amazing. <laughs> um, I hunted yesterday, which yeah. was really cool. Yeah. Um, But Fridays were always my day off. Right. When I was uh, in yeah. in ministry. So. I would be hunting on Fridays, which most people are working on Fridays. And if I post an Instagram story or a picture, people are like, ah, what do you do? You get to hunt in the middle, middle of the week. And then I would hunt some mornings, you know, before I had meetings or whatever. They, I do a lot of like quick sits yeah. from, you know, till eight or nine o'clock. Right. And then I'd go to work. Right. Um, but it, it wasn't like super valuable. Right. Type hunting. And, and I, I understand what you're saying. Like I, 
I put a lot of priority in being able to go. And so like I've set up my life in sure. such a way Absolutely. and my wife knows the expectation. You know, yep. she, she's amazing. Yep. And, um, she knows that it means, and it, honestly, at this point with doing Southern ground, it has become a part-time job. So mm-hmm. there, there are like benefits to you going more finances yeah. that, that happen from me going right. more, you right. know? And so that's, that's a cool thing. It's also not a cool thing in a lot of ways is like you, you feel like you've got a lot of pressure, absolutely. you know, on based around your success. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I wasn't trying to make it to where it like you paint this rosy picture. What I was trying to get at though, is for the guy who only has, let's say, let's say he's not, the weekend warrior. Maybe he's just got Saturday. Sunday's church and, and family and doing stuff. He's just got Saturday. Well, if, if you have a three-month-long season and four weekends out of that, you're looking at 12, 12 hunting days, right? I see a lot of benefit in him saying, okay, the three months after the season, before there's leaves on the trees, I'm going to get in those areas and see what the sign is. Mm-hmm. There's a place for that. But I think the, the, the real benefit that should be pulled from what you're talking about is for the guy who's in his season right now, maybe he's not seeing the success he wants, maybe he wants more success, maybe he's just a little restless, is change it up and go scout. In-season scouting is a very important tool. Everybody's always trying to find this recipe. What's the recipe for success? I think it's a matrix. I think it's this thing of like all these different opportunities that you're given and make the most of those opportunities, and you're always bouncing around, and that leads me to my next question. How do you assess if you've been in an area too long? How long you you go in there? You have this encounter. Do you go back? If when? How do you know when to go back? And when is it like? Mm, I'm gonna let that area sit, and I'm gonna go hit this other spot tomorrow. Um, tough question. So there's a couple different scenarios that I can think of that have been recent where I had this thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was this weekend. I hunted. I went in, hunted a spot uh, the first day on this special opportunity hunt. Uh, hunted a spot on the first evening, saw two does, left my stuff in the tree, came back, shot that doe, missed that buck, and saw like 12 deer that morning. Like, it was a really solid deer morning. The next day, I didn't hunt that evening because I was skinning that deer out and it gets dark at like 3 o'clock now. Um, so, I didn't hunt that evening. Next day, I went back in and did not see a single deer. Mm. And it just felt empty. And I was like, nope, no more. Not coming back. To this spot um whether or not it was the right move or not that if i go in and i don't see a deer like i'm gonna move on now then you have people like michael perry who a lot of people know about just killed a, the state record muzzleloader buck in freaking 195 oh. inch deer yeah. he's a great deer hunter yep. super good dude yep. uh he says a lot of times you just need to sit there and sit there and sit there and eventually he's going to show up. You put all your time into one spot, and mm-hmm. eventually, if it's a good spot, he's going to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Worthington preaches that same thing. Like, you spend every day, if you've got one buck tag and you feel like this is a spot where he's at and you've got him pinpointed, you spend every day in that mm-hmm. one spot, and eventually he's going to come by. I can't do that. If I, I don't the caveat see deer, is, I think the caveat to that, to that logic is we're talking about two older gentlemen who have been doing this for a long time, and they know what that spot looks like. Mm-hmm. They they know there's a blueprint in their mind of they know what that good spot spot looks like. I can, I'm not that guy, so <laughs> you ain't that guy. I ain't that guy. Uh, I think it, everything is also dependent on your method. So, um, if you're bow hunting, mm-hmm. 
you really like you have people like the hunting public and uh um uh whitetail adrenaline mm-hmm. like these guys who move around a lot with mm-hmm. a bow like they're yeah. hunting from the ground they're also hunting deer rich states yeah and so there are opportunities Higher. they blow yeah. a lot of opportunities but there can always be a chance you know mm-hmm. in alabama that's just especially where michael perry's hunting yeah yeah mm-hmm. in those type places florida low deer density like you really need to be i i feel like with a bow your best chance is to be you know in one location one not moving around just mm-hmm. too terribly much mm-hmm. and i don't mean not hunting from the ground um i definitely think but i think you need to be in like a stationary position like spot and stalk it and always the best way to do it no with yeah. a bow with a rifle mm-hmm it, which is probably what 90% of the people listening to this, yep. even if they don't want to admit it, they're taking the rifle out and they're shooting deer with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how most people hunt. I mean, yeah. it, and that's Nothing totally fine. Yeah. If I, I'm, I'll tell you this, I'm probably not going to pick up my bow for the rest of the season. I'm going to rifle hunt yep. because. Or muzzleloader. If those two are up, yep. shotgun maybe. Yep. I'll take the shotgun on the Patreon hunt. Yep. Like that's, that's going to be what, that's going to be what I do. I'm. Not I've I've shot six deer and I've shot about sixty five arrows it seems like this yep. year, and that big buck you shot at would have been dead with a, with a, with a rifle guaranteed. Oh yeah, every buck I've seen, mm-hmm. every every yeah every big buck that I've seen yep. if I was rifle hunting I would have killed it, which a lot of people think like oh well that's just part of it that's bow hunting that's the thing that's great equalizer like okay, <laughs> do you yeah if that's how you Next. feel about it like Next. I kind of like I kind of like you know standing yep. over dead deer. Me too. Um, but but so with rifle, you have I found a lot of spots by late season rifle hunting, um, just getting out there and walking around. You know, if I mm-hmm. got a tag in my pocket, or if it's doe days or something like that, you know, I'll take the rifle out and I'll oh, just we're gonna we're gonna go. pause this for a good night kiss. So you said you sorry the the this podcast was briefly interrupted with a good night snuggle. Anyway, so we're, we're back from a brief uh, baby break, and uh, I think you were trying to say uh, something along the lines of, if you had a tag in your pocket, you're slip hunting. Yeah, I, th- I mean, that's totally effective with a rifle. Even if you bump a deer mm-hmm. and he runs out, most of the time deer are going to run out to 50 yards. They might run 50 yards and then stop and then look. Mm-hmm. So walk with the wind in your face as long as they don't smell you. Yeah. If you just bump them, shoot. That's well, an effective way to hunt and scout, and you get a lot of that fresh... Yeah. Like, I would tell anybody who maybe just has, if I had one day to hunt, uh, to rifle hunt a big woods piece of land in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, high hunting pressure, mm-hmm. pretty decent rifle hunting population, but some good deer and a lot of deer. You know, there's a lot of deer in there. If I had one day to go out and hunt Pennsylvania, I promise you I would not be setting up in a saddle. I would be walking. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm totally with you on that. So the, if if I have not very many days, I'm going to cover ground, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make the most because, you know, I've heard Zach Farrenball say it before because that's his – he likes to hunt that way. He yeah. likes to move around a lot. But it's just the most valuable use of your time. Now, if you know this is a good spot, the deer are going to come through here for sure, mm-hmm. then I'll that's – when, that's when you set up. And most of the time that's what I'm doing. I'm setting up. Because I want to get stuff on film, um, even if I don't sometimes feel like the best chance of me killing a deer is to be set up, I'll still do it because mm-hmm. I want to get 
the film is like the trophy to me now. You know, yeah, it's it's getting to that way for me too. It's so much fun. Yeah. So I think also maybe one of the subtleties of of your style of hunting is whenever you water access areas, you tend to know who's in that area also water accessing it because you see boats. But you're also accessing a piece of property uh, in a way that gives you the freedom and the peace of mind to move around. Uh, number one thing I hear from people all the time, the same dude I was telling you about earlier who was sending me all the messages and saying, mm-hmm. hey, what do you think about all this? I keep telling him, move around, move around, move around. And I think there's genuinely a worry and a concern about bumping into other people. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're water accessing, a, let's say it's a 100-acre square, mm-hmm. and that's what these, these things are, these little 100-acre squares, and you pull your boat up on that slip, chances are you're the only person there if you don't see another boat. And I'm not chance, s- And chances are a lot of the time that I'm the only person that's been there since the last person or right. since the, since the right. last time I was there. Right. Which is cool. You Absolutely. Know? I, I can, I can treat a lot of these properties like, like I have, I have one buck that I've been trying to kill this year and I've come very close to him twice. I've bumped him out of his bed two different times, but I know I'm the only person bumping him out of his bed. There's nobody else going in there bumping him out of his bed. I've hunted this place for three years, never seen a soul. Um, it's it's a good spot. It's a really good spot. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of deer in there. And um, I've bumped him two different times, found his sign, hunted him, didn't see him, but I've bumped him twice. And so I can give that, if I bump him, I if I, so I bumped him, the second time I bumped him, I went in the next day to try to kill him. Because I was going to Kentucky, and I was going to Kentucky, and there was, I knew I was the only person that was hunting that area, and I was like, I'm going to go in there and try to kill him before I leave, because I know nobody else is going to be in here after him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still in the safest spot within ten a 10-mile 10 radius, probably. You know, he's still going to be safer in here than anywhere else, and he knows that. Mm-hmm. So I tried to hunt him again, didn't see him, and then the spot rested for... It's still resting, you know? Right. I went in there. I hunted just the very edge of the perimeter of where he goes. And uh, I hunted it mm, last week, I guess. Yeah, it was. It would have been last week, one time, mm-hmm. and didn't see a deer. So it, I, was, I was just, I wasn't deep enough into the heart of the property. But um, I just wanted to throw a rifle sit at it, you know? That was the first day I went out with a rifle. Um, but... Since then, uh, nobody's hunted it, so he's still safe. And when I get back from Florida, it's the rut, so I'm gonna go in there and I'm I'm not gonna call my shot because that doesn't work for me like it works for some people. That jinxes me, but I think I have a very good chance, a uh, high chance of being able to kill that deer because there's a million and a half does mm-hmm. running all over that place right. and. He's going to be checking them. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And the way that you position yourself with the wind on the mm-hmm. top of the crest, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful strategy. I think and he's more... going to be, if he's not with a doe, if he's not chasing a doe, he's going to be going around the the perimeter of where all these does bed, which is one big giant thicket that I know well. With, and yeah. if I have got one, so this is kind of not really tactical at all, but where I think I'll kill him at is one spot, um, Right in the middle of this big... So, when I say a thicket, I mean probably, let's say it's 40 acres of, like, clear-cut grass, like, tall grass, briars. It's just thick. It's nasty. Mm -hmm. And, like, some scattered little pines, tiny pines in there. 
and uh, there's one big tall pine right on the edge of it, and it goes straight up, and I can get in that as high as I can possibly get. I can look down. It's the only spot you can get into in there where you can look down into the thicket, mm-hmm. and I think I'm going to kill him right there because I think I'm going to catch him running does all through that thicket because that's exactly what they do. Well, if, you if ever, I don't kill him, I, I think I'll kill a buck there the first time I sit there. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I, let me, let me rephrase that. I think I'll shoot at a buck <laughs> <laughs> the first time I, I sit there. I think it's one of those things where you've taken something that is highly undesirable to the masses and found that it's quite desirable to the hunter. This is, this is unfortunate. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, is. like, like it's undesirable because you have to kayak there. If you don't, can't kayak there, you have to have a boat. If you have to have a boat, you got to put the boat in the water. You got to deal with the freezing water. You got to deal with navigating at night. Relatively small inconveniences, if you really think about it. Like it, it's not like you have to do what Dan Infault does, where he's wading through muck for a mile, frozen muck. I mean, you get in your boat, you put your layers on. You, you get to where you're go- you're getting to. You hike up a uh, what a 200 foot elevation change, maybe. Yeah. Right. S- steep. Steep. Right. Just but just about anywhere. But where what, I hunt, two two three hundred yards. Yeah. Max. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So we're not talking like elk hunting. We're not talking about you know anything. And I'm not saying that to demean, but it's like you found these barriers to entry that keep a lot of people out. And then you've also gone and said, okay, this highly unmanaged piece of property actually provides security cover. For all the animals that are getting pushed off of the private, mm-hmm. let's face it, there's a lot of deer hunters in Alabama, right? That private's yeah, getting and, hunted. Yeah, and the private offers all the other benefits that right. they're, where they're roaming around at right. night. Yep. Um, a lot of the private land borders that I hunt, they're, they've got green fields and yep. feeders and all kinds of yep. stuff up. And those deer, you know they're coming in there at night. Yeah. Um, you ask any of those guys on trail camera, they, they've probably got all the bucks you're talking about uh-huh. at like midnight to, to 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. hitting their feeders. And they're and a lot of these places, they're de- like deer in the rut, they're killing them and they're seeing them because mm-hmm. the deer are running around stupid. They're full range. If you go and look at Spartan Forge at any given time, deer in the rut, yep. they're going to be full range, which means they're going to be where they're at at night in the yep. daytime. Yep. And so they're killing bucks too, but... Um, but they're also having to deal with pressure. You know, right. they there was a guy hunting that green field two nights ago. There hadn't been a guy hunting the, you know, the nasty mm-hmm. thicket that I'm hunting. Right. Um, Except for that one guy that's chasing your kayak all over. There, that's, that's what I was. There's <laughs> There are people, unfortunately, there are people and probably even some Chasing Tales listeners who Ron. Are, are like this. Definitely Ron. Ron is <laughs> definitely that guy. Uh, no, I, I, I will say, I think Ron is like the epitome of some of my favorite people yeah. in deer hunting. Yeah. Because he really wants to work hard. Yes, he does. To he doesn't want out. anything handed to he him. He doesn't want it handed to no. him. I like that. Shout out to you, Ron. Uh, a lot of respect from me. Um, and he also, he like, he was, he shot a doe the other day and he was so fired up about it. And I, I loved it. I, I loved know. every second of that. Cause like, that's what it's all about. Anyway, um, so there are people out there who watch YouTube videos and they try to landmark spots. Yeah. And they will li- like they will literally go in and find these spots and put cell cameras on every single spot and then they'll brag to their friends about, "Hey, you want to go hunting with us this weekend? Mm-hmm. We're going to go hunt Parker spots." That literally happened. And 
unfortunately for them, that friend also knows me. And was like, hey, bro. <laughs> like, Billy, guys, Billy's going to be hunting your spot these guys tomorrow your spot. So here's the best part. Here's the best part about it. And I doubt he listens to this podcast. Not, I don't mean that in any no, demeaning okay. way towards yeah, you. Yeah, but yeah. Um, he, uh, this guy was, he'd come to some of the teaching trains that I've done. Mm-hmm. And like, was a super cool guy, you know. I would have helped him out with anything. Mm-hmm. Had the audacity a few weeks ago to message me and be like, hey, how would you access this piece of property? T- completely different piece of property. And I was like, nah, man. <laughs> I, I ain't answering this message. And because uh, I knew it was him. Yeah. And then, um, and then he, I, 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 in my first video that I did this season, I talked about like, eh, you know, I'm having to kind of branch out a little bit and do some new spots. Yeah. Because I got people following right, right. around on the videos. And uh, as soon as that video dropped, he like blocked me on Facebook. <laughs> and I was like, you, you just gave it away. I know it's you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I was speculating so, before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I, I wasn't. I yeah, knew it was yeah, him. Yeah, but yeah, I got you. But it was like, you just gave it all away. Gave it all away. You had no reason to block yeah. me on Facebook unless uh-huh. you're guilty. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, like a lot of these spots are inaccessible but i have i have really challenged myself this year and probably the reason why i haven't killed a buck in alabama is probably a lot due to this is that i'm branching out and going new places you should you know and yeah. they're not they're not always productive yeah some of them are some of them are great and i'll be back there during the rut but man some of them are tough to get to like there was mm-hmm. one spot where i the, there's a boat ramp <laughs> that's hardly a boat ramp i think i sent you a picture you of it it's like yeah. a steep like a straight wall yeah. So when you drag your kayak to it early in the in the morning in the dark, your kayak goes nose down into the water uh-huh. because it just drops off. And so I actually had to pull my kayak up by, um, I had to pull my kayak up by getting my strap, uh, like my my ratchet strap, and putting it on my, uh, what's it called my, uh, trailer hitch. Oh 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 oh, gotcha and, gotcha. And drive drag my up. kayak yeah, up. Yeah yeah yeah. Because I couldn't pull it up. Yeah. So a lot of these spots are like that, that are like, it's an even, like, it's not just small inconveniences. You talked about the inconveniences though. Uh, There are, there are a lot of small ones that you have Mm -hmm. to deal with. I don't know if you're like me. It's hard for me to, at three o'clock in the morning, wake up to go pee. Yeah. Because you're like, I don't want to get up. Mm -hmm. Now, and that's a stupid thing to not want to do. But now imagine you got to wake up at 3 a.m. and go put a boat in the water in the cold. Yep. They're, they're minor, but in they the morning up. and in yeah. the dark, it's it's a mental thing, right? So, um, and the older I get, I'm serious, the older I get, like the the less sleep that I get, right? So mm-hmm. you everything's dependent on children and kids. Yep. Like you can't go to bed at 8 o'clock. Nope. Um, and get up at two, like to it get was up a normal, at two, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's one of the reasons why I think we need to move you into first an incognito boat. We need to get you into like the most basic of all John boats. That way, <laughs> your rig it doesn't stand out. But also, I think you've earned the right to have a boat now. You've done it the hard way, and it's like as your life gets busier, having the boat is going to give you that peace of mind, and also it's gonna it's gonna retain opportunities for you because. One of the things that you said last year, man, like a dozen times, was it was entirely too windy and, and choppy out there to have a, a, a kayak. Or it was windy enough that I, myself and everything 
in the kayak was getting wet and then freezing. And it's like, dude. I've ruined a camera that way. Right. Because it was so choppy and so yeah. much water came into the boat. Yeah. And it got my backpack wet. Yeah. And it was the one day that I didn't put my camera in a dry pack. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of those camera. situations where if you give yourself those gunnels and that extra security, even if you have to take it slow because it's bad conditions, mm-hmm. you can still be out there in worse conditions sure. than you could with the kayak. There, man, I've thought about all this stuff, and I I like the kayak thing. I really do. I think it's it's probably still a place for it. Even. There is nothing more fun than putting a big buck in a kayak and just, like, taking your time and floating back to the ramp like Mm -hmm. that is so much fun it's so much fun dude but if that hinders my opportunity to get those big bucks and it really doesn't matter right you know what i mean yeah like um and so this year i have i have definitely challenged myself i started new spot monday for early season Mm -hmm. and i would just go into a brand new spot that maybe i've had marked on a map and never been there because I didn't need to. Well, now I need to. You know, I mm-hmm. need to go in there. Jared Schaefer just t- Jared just he, shot a freaking hammer. Did you see it? No, dude. It's he a did? freaking hammer. What in the world? <laughs> Good lord, he's the guy that when you when he texts you. Oh uh, yeah, he just. That is crazy. He's live the guy. on the podcast. Jared Schaefer just shot a freaking hammer in West Virginia. That's a West Virginia deer. Yeah. yeah. That is he's tagged crazy. out in what four states now? He's dude. He's insane. Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia. He shot another one. Nodak? Didn't he shoot that buck in Nodak? No, he didn't shoot one. In oh, I got you. Dang. Anyway, you should get Jared on. Jared can talk about this stuff better than me. Um, if, if somebody wants to know how to shoot a doe, uh, <laughs> somebody wants to learn how to shoot a doe, I'm your guy. If you want to learn how to shoot hammer bucks, Jared is probably. Yeah. He is proving himself to be among the best. But you were saying as you get older. Man, he just. Yeah. It's harder. It gets harder and harder to do yeah. this style of hunting, you know, every day. Yeah. Like, and I think that's the thing. Like, if it was just Fridays and Saturdays, ah, I'd be right. fine. You know, I'd make it work. But when you're doing it every single morning, it really starts to yeah just wear you down to the core. Yeah. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm actually pretty excited about this little trip to Florida to break. Yeah. Break. Like I never thought I'd be, I'd be like, I'm excited to work all week, man. That's just going to be great. It's going to be nice relaxation to just be able to work. Yeah. But you know, you've told me this and a bunch of other people have told me this, that the process and the, and I know this about deer hunting is the process is the funnest part of it. It really is. When, uh, like, like where I hunt turkeys is a good example because, you're going to go out, you can go out every day of the season and you might hear gobbling on like two days mm-hmm. of the season because <laughs> it's such bad turkey hunting. Yeah, it really is. It's surprising. Um, uh, like it's just, everything's there. I mean, the turkeys are there. You see them during deer season. They're all over the place. But during turkey season, man, they're the OGs and they do not want to gobble. 
But when you go out, so you, every single day you might not hear a gobble, but when you do, and then you go in and you kill him, it makes that turkey, it makes that gobbler so much more valuable, mm-hmm. and it makes that hunt so much more fun than if you went out and you had opportunity every single day. So while my season this year is slower, whenever it does all come together and I make it happen and stars align or whatever, that pro- the process makes that feeling of success whew, just you have to stay in love with the process. You got to. And I'm writing a piece about this for the for the for the for the website because when I water access for the first time with the GNU and I'm pat and I'm pulling out, right? And I'm not going to give all the details away, but I'm pulling out and here I am doing something that I've set out to since the beginning of the summer to do. I've got a cold front. I'm pulling out of a marsh. I'm accessing a piece of property I've never been able to access before utilizing the tactics that I've always wanted to do. If I was upset with the fact that I hadn't pulled the trigger and I got frustrated over that, I've fallen out of love with deer hunting because I've 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 I've, I've condensed down, I've distilled down the only satisfaction that I can come from that hunt is the is some perceived end result. And in reality, I'm never gonna worry about the fact that I, that I did kill a deer on that island for ten times. What I won't forget is pulling out of that marsh with the moonlight turning off my headlamp and feeling that cold front dip down and having that entire lake to myself and hearing the deer blow on the island as I left and, and all that different stuff. Like that was an adventure, dude. It was an yeah. adventure and that's what we're what what we're seeking. It's always great to kill a big deer. I'm not saying that to diminish that. That's also a part of the adventure. Right? But you gotta stay in love with the process. I'm not speaking to you directly when I say that, but no, to anybody it, listening to this, it, the process is the memory. Mm-hmm. Being, you know, like guys like like what Jared Schaefer's experiencing this year, like you could talk to him, and it's not every single year that he's having that he has the season no. that he had this year, but it's it is that is the a really fun part of the process. Absolutely, is consistency, and uh, I had that season last year. You know, mm-hmm. I I felt like last year I every time I walked into the woods, the buck that I wanted to kill walked out. Me too. You know, it was just like, yeah. like that's that's fun, and it it makes. It makes the other seasons when you actually have to earn it, earn it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not Jared earned it. Sure. And, and I earned it last year. But there's, you know? there's, there's different degrees of effort, mm-hmm. right? There's different degrees of effort applied. Yeah. And so when you, when you, when you learn that the process is the, is the part of it that makes it so cool and so desirable, man, it, it it'll change. I, I feel like I changed that in my mind. Uh, yesterday, actually sitting in the woods yesterday after that buck winded me and I was about to get a shot at him and I was mm-hmm. just like, man, this sucks. Like I was literally sitting in the tree like, why do I, why am I putting myself through this? Mm-hmm. Like I am miserable. There was a guy on, uh, Facebook, actually something good that happened out of Facebook. Um, on one of my posts, he said, uh, his name is Jeremy Rieger. Rager, I don't know how you pronounce it, but I know who you're talking about. He 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 commented on a post of mine. And he said, uh, "Man, don't let don't let the media get to your head because all they're going to want to do is take 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 take." And he said, "We need voices like yours in the industry for a long time." And so I was like, "I've really like chewed that over, man." And so I was sitting in the woods yesterday after getting busted by that buck, and it's just like, man, it's time that I got. If I don't change my mind, mm-hmm. my mindset, 
I'm going to, I'm just going to quit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe not quit, but it's not, it becomes not enjoyable anymore. Yeah. When, when you put pressure on yourself to, to kill something mm-hmm. every single time you go, it, it's just not going to be enjoyable. You're, you're setting yourself up for high levels of disappointment. Here, here's a prime example of how this, this idea holds true. Find someone who kills a pile of big deer. They probably started with a gun, and then we can see this trend happen a lot. They started with a gun, and then they went to a compound, and then it, maybe it was bow hunting from the ground, and then they go to a stick bow, and there's always these increasing levels of difficulty, right? If you shot a 120-inch deer every time you went out, you would get bored of hunt, of shooting that 120-inch deer. Mm-hmm. This, we know this to be true because people, as they progress in their hunting careers, start setting Oh, that was that. Start setting higher and higher levels for themselves as they go. And the reason for that is they're after that adventure. And it's so funny mm-hmm. to me. It's so funny to me that we were so quick to forget about that pursuit because we're focused on the outcome. It's It happens to me all the time. Yeah. It happens to me all the time. Um, I feel pressure as a media person to produce kills. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it. To film, I'm doing it because I love it, and I'm doing it because there's an adventure aspect to it. It's one of the reasons why I don't hunt private land. It has no issue. I have got no issue, no qualms on not speaking a, a, a lick of bad luck, on, a bad juju on anybody who hunts private land. Do it. It's your thing. To me, it's not an adventure, and so yeah. I just don't do it. Well, the part of the reason why I started hunting like, on doing the public land hunting and then doing it with a kayak because I knew it was going to be the hardest thing that I could probably put myself through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to, number one, I'm a very competitive person. Yep, I'm you a, and me both. I'm an Enneagram 8. And so it makes me very, very competitive and very, um, like with anything. Like, And I still feel like when one of my great friends, like Jared, when I feel somebody, when I see somebody kill a good deer or have these seasons, like there's a, I have to fight the jealousy, right? Because I'm just I'm just competitive. I can't I can't help it. But part of the reason why I did this was to combat that competitive nature mm-hmm. because I know the way that I'm doing it and in the place that I'm doing it in Alabama, it's just it's not going to be Illinois and it's not going to be Ohio. It's not going to be, you know, South Dakota where you have legitimate chances to kill a booner every time you step yeah. in the woods. Yeah. I'm hunting in a place that's hard to hunt, yeah, and and that's why I did it this way because I wanted to be legit happy for people, you know, when they when they kill a big buck over a feeder mm-hmm. in Texas, I want to be happy for them, yep. not jealous of them. There's no yeah. reason I could go kill a big buck over a feeder in in Texas, yep. you know, if I lived in Texas and I wanted to go out there and do that, but I'm doing the thing that is hardest, and I didn't do it to challenge myself necessarily. I did it to challenge my my human nature, mm-hmm. which is jealousy. Like I want to I want to be happy for people whenever they yeah. find the success. And I've actually built my whole brand on that that exp- like creating that experience mm-hmm. that you want. If that mm-hmm. experience you want is to go out on Friday or, or Saturday and Sunday and sit around a campfire and drink beer with your buddies and maybe shoot a basket rack five point. If that's what you're going after, then my Lord, do it. <laughs> you know, I'm with you. That's what it needs to be about for you. Yeah. But if you're wanting to go out on 
if your experience is I want to hike in 14 miles and kill big bucks, you know, doing it the way that nobody else does it, then send it. Don't settle for less. I agree. You know, and so, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I don't know if that's a good way to wrap it up, but that's I think it's a great way. That's kind of what up. it all comes down to for me. Is you don't have to hunt the way that I hunt. You don't have to do it the way that I do it. We don't even have to think about the same way. Uh, we don't have to value the same aspects of hunting for mm-hmm. it all to be fun. You know, yeah. it all to be great. Like I killed a I killed a deer over a corn pile this year. Um, it's been a long time since I've killed a deer over a corn pile, but I did. And if I'm being honest with you, it wasn't everything that I wanted out of a hunt. Like, it was still fun, though. Sure. You know, it was still sure. it was still great. And I had worked my tail off a couple of days before that. This was the Kentucky buck that I killed. And um, I had shot a deer, put myself in the right position, shot a deer, didn't recover it. I was just wore out, <laughs> you know. And so I was like, yeah, sitting over corn pile sounds all right. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah. Um. But it all came down to the experience, and you know, I think you learn. You'll learn what that is. You know, yeah, absolutely for you. The more you do it, I think the only the only two traps you can follow, the only two pitfalls of what we're, pitfalls of what we're talking about is one, telling someone else what the adventure should be. Neither of us have ever been guilty of that. Um, outside of saying, make it your own, and then the uh, second component to this is. Uh, the second component to this is. Um, Man, COVID, COVID. <laughs> be fault. Jared. Be Jared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, for second that's, part. That's the Jared. second part. Just the, be like Jared. The first part. So he just went down. So let's try and be a little. Let's be a little quieter. Um, the, the first part is. Don't. Oh, and the second, the second part is just is just loving that process, right? Like if you think about like Michael Jordan, or if you think about Dan Infold, or you think about all these guys who ha- who have immense amounts of success. Gary Vaynerchuk. If you don't, if you don't know any of the guys, you know, if you don't know who Michael Jordan is, you don't know who Dan Infold is. Gary Vaynerchuk. Maybe you know who that is. Those are all guys that ate practice, that ate postseason scouting, that loved the idea of building something, and the mm-hmm. achievement is almost a, not necessarily a letdown, but it was just something along the way, man. Mm-hmm. It was just something that just happened. Let the process be what the process, or rather, let the end game be what the end game is. Love that process. Wake up every day excited for the adventure. And if you can't wake up excited about what you're going to go do, regardless of what the outcome is, fix your mental mindset. And and the re- here's the reality. Everybody you talked about are the greats, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they didn't get to be the greats by sitting around right you know like what you said they ate practice they ate scouting uh, all that stuff um dan and fault you, you mentioned him he's a great example man mm-hmm. the dude has been so consistent um but he's had bad seasons yeah he's had bad like i mentioned the last time i was on chasing tales podcast about how you know it's been a while since i've seen dan kill and, and it wasn't a knock on him either yeah. But I hadn't seen him kill an early season deer in several years. Yep. And then what, what did he do? He smashed a freaking stud. Like two days later or the next day. Yeah. It like, was almost it was almost ironic. Yeah, it was it was weird. So like you may not have these situations where 
you know, you have seasons like guys like Jared or Andy May or some of these guys. Um, but if you will apply yourself and put yourself in the right situations and work your butt off, I almost guarantee you that it'll eventually happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the bare minimum, if you're keeping the main thing the main thing and you're doing what you're supposed to, you're going to have a good time along the way. You're going to make memories. You're mm-hmm. going to step off the canoe into a hole that's way deeper than your waders and suddenly your boots are full of water and it's kind of chilly. You're, I'm never going to forget that. Right? Mm-hmm. The, the type 2 fun is going to be there along the way. So, Well, here's the deal, dude. We have been recording for an hour and 40 minutes. You have got at least four hours of driving left to do. It is 8, what, 8.40 at night? 8.20 at night? Is it really? Yeah, dude. It's late. So Jeez. let's let's wrap this up. Tell everybody where they can find you if they don't the already know in the woods <laughs> with <laughs> with a kayak on the bank. If you see yeah. the kayak on the bank, that's where he is. That's where that's where you can find me, especially right now. No, uh, that'd be a good. That'd be you know, that'd be an excellent website handle. Catch me. Where in can the woods, you find me? In, in the woods. dot com. <laughs> in the woods. dot com. That's actually. I wonder cool. if that's a web. I wonder if that domain's I taken. I guarantee you, right now, it if it wasn't, it's been bought and it's been bought by Adam. One hundred percent. That's probably true. That's probably true. That guy buys every domain he that he thinks of. Every domain. What, what's it like to be made of money? I wonder. I don't know. Probably green and dry. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, southern ground hunting everywhere. That's it. Yep. It's simple. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Well, guys, podcast. here here's the deal. Parker is a once. I was gonna say once in a lifetime, but that's not true. You're you're you're, you're one of a kind, is what I should say. Um, one one of a kind fella. I appreciate you taking time out of your day, taking a break. I'm thrilled to be hunting with you in deer camp because, frankly, I find that, and this is no secret in life, when you surround yourself by people who are better at something than what you do, you get better as well. And I can't wait to spend four days. Uh, just kind of hearing you come back to camp, hearing hearing what your game plan is, seeing where you go, seeing what you think of Florida. Right as you go and and what your success is. Um, yeah, we never hunted together too, so that never be, no. Be cool. This is actually probably the second longest amount of time we've ever actually hung out. It's actually the second time we've hung out. It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, hit like, hit subscribe, go show Parker some love, go buy a hat from Parker. That's what you should do. If you if you enjoy this podcast, go buy a hat from Parker. Sign up for Spartan Forge, and until next time, we'll catch you later. <laughs>